Happy New Year to you. How you doing? You look great. You're right, I can't see any of you at all. So it was more of a faith declaration to start the year. So it's been, uh, it's been quite a year. I, uh, it was a year ago this week uh, that I came to Calgary for interview with SunWest. And uh, we've been through almost all the cycle. Been through a, a Mexico trip, a Good Friday and Easter. Been through uh, the joys of spring and summer, stampede breakfast. Been through our first fall and winter with you. The only things left, of course, are Valentine's Day, Family Day, and Groundhog Day. <laughs> have yet to celebrate a Groundhog Day here at SunWest, but it's been quite a year. So today I want to talk a little bit about clarity for the coming year and where we're going in 2016. For those of you that have been coming to SunWest for a long time, this will be old hat, but for some of you this will be new because you're new to SunWest as I am. And uh, you know what I've seen in this past year at SunWest? You'll see this on the next slide. We have great teaching. We have great worship here at SunWest, great sense of community and family. And I know many of you have experienced all of those. And uh, it's an honor for my family and I to be a part of this great uh, faith community uh, that is SunWest, and, and to experience all this stuff this past year. Perhaps you've seen this banner as you come into the Fish Creek campus here. SunWest is church you're going to love, and it is. It's, it's a wonderful place uh, to find friends and authenticity and heart and uh, just to, to feel love. And I know people are attracted to SunWest because of those things, but our vision is more about transformation and less about attraction. It's not the issue of we want to be the best church in town. That's kind of a competitive thing. And, and if we say we're the best church in town, what we're really saying is the other churches suck. And that's, that's not our message. That's not, that's not our point. We want to be a great church. But again, we're more about transformation than we are about attraction. I've captured this on my phone for you to see if you haven't seen this yet. wanted to share that with you just in case you haven't seen Star Wars yet, but uh, just in case you didn't catch it from the Star Wars introduction, we're going to talk about transformation today as a significant part of our vision, and the four ways we're going to break that down are talking about the divine manifestations or motivations found in scriptures, the distinct metaphors, there's five of them, the direct manifestations, and then the delivery mechanisms. So... Yeah, that's where we're going. You good? You, you guys feeling okay? Shaking out the cobwebs of the Christmas holidays and settling. I had to get back to work yesterday because these sermons aren't going to write themselves. So I'm already back in the working groove. So thrilled to be with you. Thanks for coming this morning. This is helping us that you're here. The Divine Motivations, there's three scriptures we're just going to look at and touch on briefly. And again, if you've been here in the last year, you've heard all of these scriptures at some point or another. 
Paul spoke to the church in Corinth and talked about the different stages from planting the seeds and then watering it, but then God makes it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters, have one purpose. They'll each be rewarded according to their own labor. We are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. That's the big picture. We all have a part to play in the reproductive process that is God's kingdom. And for some of us, this, this coming year, 2016, will be a year of profound discovery where you learn exactly where you fit in that cycle, that process of reproduction. The second scripture is found in Matthew 28. Again, these are very familiar words where Jesus calls his followers, saying to them, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth, so go and make Disciples of all nations. Again, not just people, not just people groups, but of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful motivation. And then the third scripture, found in Ephesians 4, which talks about the five-fold gifts. There's five different gifts that God has given to the body. We talked about these last April. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And again, that maturity doesn't just end with character, it ends with reproduction. These gifts that God has given the church, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostles, are not just here to do the work of the ministry, but rather to equip all of us to do the ministry. They are catalysts of maturity. Let me just share with you five distinct metaphors, and it's, it's key that we understand why the church is here. And I want to give you these five metaphors very quickly for the church. Some see the church as a life-saving station because their hearts are towards evangelism. Yes, that's what the church is about. The church is also about the metaphor of being a hospital because we are about seeing people healed. The church is also very much like a school. It's a place of teaching where we come and learn and grow, but it's also, this is a very misunderstood gift, it's like a spa. And everybody's saying, praise God. <laughs> but we get encouraged. Even, even this morning as some of you were coming in, you felt the encouragement of being around people who are speaking life into you. It seems we go through the week, people are saying all kinds of negative things, we're facing competition, we're facing gossip and slander, and then we go to work, and there's a little, <laughs> little joke there, uh, but yeah, sometimes both in our homes, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, we face all kinds of negativity, but the prophetic spirit is built on encouragement. That's the uh, that's what the Apostle Paul says, is, is that's why we come together then for the mutual encouragement. We share gifts with each other. That is the essence of the prophetic. And then the last metaphor for the church is the greenhouse, a place where it's safe, a place where you can grow and flourish and come to a point where you can survive in the outside world and you don't have to just depend on life inside the house. They're all beautiful metaphors. On the next slide, again, depending on where you fit in the body of Christ, you may see that your purpose is all about getting others saved or evangelizing. Again, it's not just for the five-fold equipper, for the evangelist, it's not just about doing the evangelization, it's about teaching others to evangelize others. It's about teaching others to restore and encourage and repair others or teach others. It's not just about doing the teaching, but teaching others how to teach. It's about teaching others how to declare, how to inspire others. And lastly, that apostolic metaphor, it's about teaching people 
how to transform and bring the culture of the kingdom of God to our nation. I want that one to settle in on you because in the context of an apostolic house, and again, Pastor Willie, who planted this church, is very much an apostolic gentleman, has created, he's created an environment here where the culture of the kingdom isn't just for this house. And we don't go out and legislate the culture of the kingdom. It's not about, well, if we could just change the laws, if we could just get prayer back into school. Again, I'm not opposed to those things, but it's not about legalizing the culture. It's not about forcing the culture on others. It's about this gentle but powerful influence of the kingdom everywhere. And can I let you in on a little secret? We're winning. I rarely watch the news. I mean, I'm all about being culturally attuned. I want to know what's going on, but can I tell you something? It's depressing. It's not an accurate depiction of what's actually going on in our society. It's a depiction of the fear-based extremes of what is happening in our society. Generally, opposed to 100, as opposed to 100 or 200 years ago, people are healthier than ever. They're living longer. They're not dying as young. 200 years ago would have been ideal in that pre-Victorian and then Victorian era you think there was such a level of morality. And yet the age of consent all across this country was 14 or less. Wasn't a pretty place to live. But now we're winning. Things are actually getting better. In a lot of major cities across North America, the crime rates are actually lower. The kingdom of God is actually increasing. Globally, people are getting saved. On average, in any given day, 187,000 people come to know Jesus. We're winning. It's kind of that pinky in the brain thing. What are we going to do today? Same thing we do every day. Try to take over the world. These distinct metaphors are working. Again, the church is being equipped in, as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. We see direct manifestations of this. This is the third thing I want to talk about. The purpose of the equipping and the maturing you see the vision there. This is clearly articulated on the website. We mention it almost every Sunday that we are a multi-church or a multi-campus church family committed to equipping and releasing individuals to, to fulfill God's mission in the communities he places us. But what we don't often see is the first of the core values you see there on the screen, the one of Transformation. It's interesting, if we were to all have the same vision, like say, for example, we're all going on vacation together. We could all say, yeah, we're all going to head to Phoenix, and we've got a bunch of condos rented, and we're all going to stay together in Phoenix. It's going to be lovely. Well, Pastor Matt might say, <clears throat> the thing that matters most to me is we have to go in a convertible. Because Matt just loves to feel the wind blowing through his hair <laughs> and his beard. Whereas Lisa might say, well, I'd rather take an RV because I'm fundamentally a redneck. <laughs> and that's what matters to me. I want to see some campsites. I want to stop and, you know, just take in nature. And that. Whereas Daryl might say... That's all great. I, I hate 
getting there. That's not half the fun for me. Let's just fly there. Let's get there as quick as possible. No convertibles, no RVs. Let's just fly down there, get a shuttle. I don't even want to have to drive. And So we're all going the same place, but it's the how we get there that really determines the look of the vacation, isn't it? We all have the same vision, but it's a different culture. It's different things that we value. And because we value, again, this transformation value, <clears throat> this was written long before I got here. It actually attracted me to SunWest. That it is a culture, a church culture, a community of faith that values transformation. If you don't value transformation, then fine, keep coming. We'll do the same liturgy every Sunday, sing the same songs, preach through the calendar every year, same messages, different year. But that's not who we are. We are a culture that's built on transformation. So the direct manifestation of that let me just unpack this very quickly for you. First of all, it's about transformation. It's about a change of heart. That's what the picture is for. Um, first of all, it's internal. Thanks, I'm here all week, try the veal. Tip your waitresses. It's an internal transformation that's, I'm changed from the inside out. I have that change of heart before the external that I can change the world. The, the breaking of the ground is the second manifestation. Jesus goes through this in Luke chapter 10. I won't fully unpack it. But he says, when you go into a town, bless them. Speak peace there. And then eat in the homes. Eat whatever they give you. Just build relationship with the people. And then thirdly, when no one else cares, when no one else bothers, you should bother. You should care for the felt needs. You should pray for the people. You should heal the sick. You should raise the dead. You should cast out demons. You should cleanse the lepers. When no one else bothers, we bother. And then there's this benevolent, this caring banter. Look, the kingdom's here. We're here to care for your needs. We love you. We bless you. It's not about, again, legislating morality. It's not about forcing our template on you. You got to look like we look like. It's that we're here to love you. And then thirdly, there's the reproduction of disciples, both individually, which is breaking the ground mentioned there in the steps above, leading people to Jesus, but also corporately discipling. And here in the context of SunWest, that means planting churches. Again, we are a multi-campus church. As we're meeting here, just across the valley at Mackenzie Lake Community Center, our Mackenzie campus is meeting. And, and we're excited that in years to come, there will be more campuses. That direct manifestation of transformation is painful. People have been asking me today, all this past week, hey, how was your Christmas? And I say it was wonderful. I, yeah, I got a few gifts, but from December 21st to December 28th, all four of my kids were home. And that's the first time since last Christmas that we've all been together as a family. And you know what? It's, it's a wonderful thing to be together. But reality dictates my older kids move out of the house. There's good and bad to that. Mostly good. <laughs> I mean, I love them to come home for a time. But you see, they've become adults. They have their own rules, their own lives, their own way of doing things, their independence. God bless them. It's great that they find their own way. And you see, this is a byproduct of maturity is they grow, they develop their own opinions and ideas, they build their own homes, and eventually their own families. Hmm. And that's how the Griffin name increases and develops legacy. 
I mean, I think about it. You know, wouldn't it be great to have the kids home all the time? No. No, I, I don't have to think about it long. But I do love... Seriously, I loved the week that they were all here. But I know, like, the second week, third week, fourth week, if it came to that, you know, there'd be fighting, bickering, potentially a murder. <laughs> uh, but this... This is the joy of seeing my kids. I mean, they, my, my oldest daughter, some of you have met Brinley, she thinks very differently from me. As does Satan. <laughs> and my oldest son, Wes, he lives in Hamilton. He flew in for the week. And again, brilliant young man when he's living somewhere else. <laughs> Again, and I love my kids, and I love that week they were home. I can't tell you the delight and the joy of having the family table just filled with laughter, and you know, the meal has been cleared and put away for two hours, and we're still sitting there laughing, and you know, it's Griffin humor. Everybody gets the jokes. <laughs> Don't have to explain anything. And it warms my heart. But listen, reality of increase and maturity means we have to go our separate ways. And there's a measure of independence. You know, it's actually the same in the kingdom. You'll see here on the next slide. What that ultimately means for all of us is we're growing I don't know if you've been here the last couple months. There's some Sundays I've had to stand across the back. There's not even room to sit in the front. There's not room for all of us in the same theater. So coming February 7th, we're going to start an alternative service, Fish Creek Unplugged. If you're finding it, finding it too loud in here, too crowded in here, join us in Theater 5. We'll have an unplugged service. Same messages. Uh, most often it'll be a different speaker or sometimes even video, but we're shooting for as much as possible to have a live communicator, live band, smaller band. Not Again, if you're finding it loud, if this is too much for you, if you want something quieter, an unplugged expression. Listen, we're just making room for people that don't know Jesus yet. This is the reality of growth. Yeah, it'd be nice if we could all be together all the time, but some of those people at McKenzie campus, I mean, you haven't seen some of those people hardly at all in 2016, but the reality is they're growing over there. They're hitting up to close to 150 people many Sundays. Great attendance, great momentum. They've just rejigged the campus over there, the the auditorium, it looks great. Things are happening. People are getting saved. It's a good place to be. But again, the, the direct manifestation, what, what happens is as we grow, it gets a little uncomfortable. And it would be great if we could all fit in in the same auditorium. But the reality of Calgary is as we grow, we don't really have the budget to get a 1,000 or 2,000 seat auditorium. Wisdom dictates that we keep expanding, we go to multiple services, eventually we will plant other campuses. That's actually good news. Let me touch on, lastly, this delivery mechanism of transformation. It's us. It's us. It's not about the staff, it's not about the leadership team, it's not about the small group leaders, it's all of us. But not just us as we currently know ourselves, it's actually a transformed version of ourselves. This, this is the mechanism that brings catalytic transformation to the south of Calgary. Specifically, you'll see on the next slide what that means for us is, first of all, we're more active. I know many of you have seen images like this over the past year of Syrian refugees. 
And it's really just alerted us to world need. I'm going to invite the ushers to come. They have uh, binders that they're going to pass out. And these binders are just going to kind of make their way forward. If Once the binders passed you by, you can either fill it in or pass it on. And when you're done with it, just keep passing the binders ahead for the next 10 minutes. But what these binders are about, our missions committee has done a lot of legwork. And I'm not saying that we're committing specifically to a refugee family, but as we've partnered with MCC and with the government of Canada, they're doing a program whereby they will match dollar for dollar what we donate. The missions committee has set aside some budget. Uh, but here's the question for you. If we were to adopt a refugee family here at SunWest, we would need some families to give. And I want to thank you for your incredible faithfulness in giving, not just to missions, but to SunWest in general this past year. And we would need you, some of you, to increase giving a bit in that area to help us looking after a refugee family. We're not saying necessarily or absolutely a Syrian family. But there are many countries in crisis that are sending families our way. So here's the question. And this is why we're passing out the binders. And we're not asking for your signature to commit and say, yeah, I'm in, I'm going to help. I'm we're just wondering how many of you are actually interested in practically helping. To bring a family into Canada, they need help with um, work permits, work placements. They need to get social insurance numbers. They need to get registered for all kinds of, like basically any ID or anything that you have in your wallet. They're starting from scratch to get their licenses, uh, just to get all kinds of valid identification just to get into the system. And there's lots of folks we're going to need a casserole once or twice a week. And maybe that's your level of involvement, as you could say, yeah, I could throw together a casserole once a week. But for others, we're going to need three or four, maybe six or eight hours a week from a number of families that would say, yeah, I so believe in the purposes of God looking after the poor, the orphan, the widow, that I'll sign my name on one of these binders and say, yeah, I'll come to an information meeting and I'm ready to discover and explore what a commitment to that would look like. So if you'd fill in your name, email address, phone number, we can just follow up with you in a few weeks and let you know more specifically again. We have some budget, but we're not specifically committed to any project. Obviously, there would be a high level of security checking. We wouldn't want to be importing um, any undesirable characters. But at the same time, as we remembered on Christmas Eve, we're very thankful for an innkeeper who opened his property to an immigrant family. And that changed the world. So that's one of the practical applications for us. It means being more active. I just want to take a minute, a couple minutes, tell you a couple stories uh, about people who have made a transformational difference. Uh, first, just want to briefly tell you about my friend Len. <laughs> Len uh, is a math teacher by trade, so he loves inflicting pain on others. <laughs> Len got an opportunity to retire early, took his retirement package, and he bought this business that you see on the screen here. Uh, it's a greenhouse. It's called the Garden Shop. And it's, uh, I mean, at the height of the uh, commercial calendar, he employs eight to ten people, so he's making a difference. I've been by the garden shop, met many of his employees. And Len's really making a difference with his employees and loving them and caring for them. And some of them are just so grateful to have a job. And Len pastors 
Again, he's a math teacher, and this is the funny thing. He knows nothing about greenhouses or growing. He learned how to be a farmer by watching YouTube videos. But he's impacting his community. Cool thing is, he takes the proceeds from this little business, and what he was doing is two or three times a year, he would head over to India. Not because he had any connections there, any ministry stuff going on. It's just God put that on his heart. So he'd go to India two, three times a year. I don't have time to unpack the whole story, but I first met Len in... 2002. Here we are 13, 14 years later. And in that time, actually in about half of that time, he's planted over a hundred churches. He has a network of well over 1,500 churches. He started six academies, schools in northern India, all in the same province. He's Again, this is a retired math teacher. He's not a pastor. He's just a guy who wanted to make a difference. He started orphanages. He started schools. Cool thing was the prime minister in the province he was in heard about what he was doing, invited my friend Len and said, explain yourself. So for over an hour, Len shared his heart about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. The prime minister and his entire cabinet were very impressed. That's why they brought Len in. Again, unemployment rates were down. The economy was doing better. Crime rates were way down in the province. Orphans were being looked after. Kids were being educated. And they asked my friend Len, what was all of this about? After an hour with the prime minister and his cabinet, you got to understand there's over 80 million people in this province. So basically the size of Germany, two or three times the size of Canada. And Len proceeds to lead the prime minister and his whole cabinet to a faith decision to follow Jesus Christ. He's a math teacher. He doesn't know anything about Indian culture except that he felt in his heart to take the early retirement and go make a difference. I'd say that's pretty good. Or I, I know that's kind of an exceptional story. Then the next story is my friend Timmy Mutu. I've known Tim again for over 20 years. Tim is the gentleman on the left of that photo in the striped shirt. Tim's this tall. And Tim could have made excuses his whole life about dwarfism and how that had slowed him down, but Tim's a brilliant young man. Tim uh, is an engineer, went to school, got his degrees, became an engineer, did that for a few years. He's making boatloads of money. But Unfortunately, Tim actually listened to a lot of the messages I was sharing and took them seriously. Really messed up his life. Tim talked to his boss and said, you know, it's great working here, making all this money. You've been really good to me. Would you free me up to take some extra vacation time and go to some undesirable parts of the world and help them to have clean drinking water. That's in my skill set. I can help these people. So first it was some extended vacation time, and then he started tinkering with his actual work hours and his salary so he'd have more time and less money. He started an organization called H2O for All. And Tim is transforming his world one village at a time. Little man, big vision. And again, I know those are kind of extreme stories. I, I love this one, though. Third story is 
my friend Bobby. She's actually a closer friend of my wife's. We've known Bobby for probably 25 years. She used to come to our youth camps. Bobby, Bobby's goals and dreams were simple. She just wanted to get married and have kids. But it's a little more awkward having kids when you're not married. But Bobby, Bobby didn't let that slow her down. She, she worked for years, uh, just a single lady, worked in a church, did all kinds of different part-time jobs, very entrepreneurial. But what I love about Bobby is she had a dream to be a mom, so she adopted two little girls. She was a foster mom for years, but eventually adopted Athena and Rain. And Bobby has transformed the world of these two young ladies. She didn't make an excuse of, oh, I'm not married, I, I can't have kids, I can't make a, make a difference. She, she stuck to her guns. This lady is profoundly determined. And she made a difference. These two young ladies have been profoundly impacted by Bobby Howden. As a matter of fact, the church that Bobby attends over the course of the last decade, they have fostered or adopted over 750 children. By my estimates, over 500 of those kids have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is when we take this culture of transformation seriously, Again, not just a vision to make disciples, not just a vision to be a multi-campus church, but when we take seriously the vision to transform not just our little church community, but our city, our province, our nation, we can make a profound difference. Lastly, my friend Wes, he was born on the wrong side of the tracks and medicine hat. Worked hard his whole life, built a very successful uh, construction company. And uh, there are people from this church that actually attend, actually live in condos that he's built. And Wes also built a camp uh, that over every summer they have between 500 and 1,000 kids that will give their lives to Jesus Christ at this camp. And Wes built that camp because he came from the wrong side of the tracks and never forgot what it was like to come from poverty. And every summer for the last 20 years, hundreds, sometimes over a thousand kids, give their life to Jesus because he lets them come to camp, many of them, for free. So what else does this mean for us? Living a life that's transformational means we're more about loving, means listening to people and hearing their stories and caring for them and meeting their needs. It also means we're happier. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand the tension of the gospel, that yes, when we give our lives to Jesus, Everything changes, it's, but it's not all wonderful. There are seasons of struggle. I, I get a theology of suffering. I understand that. But can I just say this? That theology of suffering, the balance of building our house not just on the wisdom of the joy, but understanding its foolishness to think that's all there is, a balanced house, it means, yeah, we understand blessing and prosperity, but we also understand pain. Can I just share with you, that's a message that you journey through with your small group and your close Christian friends. But when people at work ask you about serving Jesus, here's the line we use. Yeah, since I've come to Jesus, my life has been great. They don't need to know all the ugly details of your theology of suffering. Not right away. Eventually they'll get to that. It's hard to explain to Jesus. Yeah, come to Jesus. It really sucks. 
It's full of pain and growth season. I mean, we can share that as they get into it. Yeah, sure, they count the cost up front. They understand that to give their lives to Jesus is to come and die. But ultimately, we are a people of joy. Seriously, this is part of our culture. We're not going to depress people into the kingdom. Oh, life sucks. Come to Jesus. I mean, life sucks and then you die, so you might as well go to heaven. Folks, we need to be positive about the joy that we have in Jesus. This is a part of our culture. This is who we are. We are people of joy. The Apostle Paul said, rejoice. And Paul was a Hebrew, rare to repeat things, and yet Paul said, I'll say it again. Rejoice. There's something about the joy of Jesus that in spite of the difficulty that we face, we follow our Lord and Savior who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. We are a happier people. Also, transform life means we're more whole. Can I just be straight with you here? We can't be following Jesus and holding on to our anger. And can I be really straight with you? Since coming to this church, since joining the Mennonite tradition, I, I appreciate the whole posture of love and nonviolence. Like, I appreciate that the Mennonite people are not a people of uh, violence or anger or aggression, but again, if I can just be straight with you, I think because of the non-aggression, there's a lot of latent unforgiveness. There's a lot of stuff under the surface. Can, can we stop messing around with that? Can we actually become a people of wholeness? A people who trust? A people who forgive? Can we stop being haters? I mean, that's what Christ has called us to. We don't just stick our head in the sand and say, oh no, I'm fine. Yeah, I come from an alcoholic family, but I'm good, seriously. Can we stop faking it? And actually get healed? This church is blessed with incredible resources. Pastoral folks, counselors, access to other counseling ministry here, deliverance, the Sozo people here are so well trained. I don't think you would find a more caring group that will help you through your issues. And so rather than being mean spirited or angry or hurtful, can we actually work towards wholeness in 2016? If we're going to see the world transformed, it's not going to help to fake it. We actually have to get whole from the inside out. No pressure. I'm just saying. So what else does that mean? I, I think generally we're more positive. I, again, I appreciate that we're a very analytical people. There's a fine line between analytical and critical. And again, we want to embrace, again, as a culture of transformation, we want to embrace a lifestyle of not being negative, kind of critical, fine to be analytical, but when we cross the line into criticism, I, be I believe we dishonor the Lord. If everything we do is based on analysis, it becomes, it becomes discouraging for people who get analyzed. But if we are a people who function in the biblical gift of encouragement, again, rather than trying to figure everything out, a people who see the best in others, 
of people who are saying, hey, you know what? You're good at that. Yeah, let's celebrate that. Let's embrace the thing. Rather than pointing out everything that's wrong in your life, we are the people who see the good in you and believe in you and celebrate you. I have a litany of people in my life who have said to me, I'm following Jesus. I'm going on in life or ministry or whatever because, Griff, you believed in me. And you know what? When they lay me in the ground someday and put me in a wooden box and throw dirt on me and come back somewhere and eat triangular sandwiches, I want them to say about me, that Mark was so encouraging. He believed in me when no one else did. I want us to be that kind of people that when outsiders come in and become part of our faith community, we celebrate the good rather than pointing out what's wrong. That's the spirit of Jesus. I mean, he was aware of what's wrong. When they brought him the lady, she was naked and they were ready to stone her because they'd caught her in the act of adultery and Jesus challenged the fault finders and ran to the defense of the hurting woman who'd been caught in sin. He raised the bar for her and he said, yeah, go and don't do that anymore. But he loved her. He saw beyond the rules she had broken to see her heart. I love that about Jesus. I want to be positive like him. Almost done. It also means we're more unified. I love the message Pastor Matt shared a couple months ago when he talked about the fivefold gifts and how they can be at tension with one another. It's about unity in spite of our difference. It doesn't matter what you think Sun West should be all about at the end of the day. We're about making authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. We're about blooming where you're planted. And again, how we get there, that differs, I'm sure, hundreds of different opinions, but at the end of the day, we love each other. Rather than saying, well, that's stupid. I don't think that's how we should... We should say about each other, wow, that's a very radically different perspective than what I have. I love you for that. Word to your mom. (laughs) That's a beautiful expression of who we are. It also means that we're more authentic, more transparent. And I know we talk about it a lot. That's... Again, part of our core values, part of our culture. But the authenticity, the actual transparency, isn't truly comfortable. And I guess, ultimately, that's what I'm calling us into in 2016, is I believe God's calling us to a place of discomfort. Seriously, this is not lazy boy Christianity. It actually means, I don't know, once or twice a week, once or twice a month, doing something that's a little out of your comfort zone. And I know this is a comfort-driven society, but we are not serving a comfortable God. Yeah, he is the God of all comfort, but you find comfort when you say no to your own way of doing things and saying, yeah, God, bring it on. I'm ready to actually open my heart. I'm ready to talk about the things that are slowing me down. I'm ready to stop making excuses. I I actually want to change and I actually want to see my world change. It's just a thought. So here's what I want to do this morning as we end. We're not going to call the worship team up just yet. We're going to give them about five minutes before they come. And here's what I'd like you to do, is I'd like you to find somebody sitting near you, one or at the most two other people, thus forming groups of two or three. If you're in a group of four, you can actually split that group 
into two groups of two. If you're in a group of two and you see somebody who's in a group of one, you tell them that's not a group. (laughs) One, you're doing the solo thing. Come join our group. So with just a slight measure of sensitivity to the people around you, I don't want you to unpack your whole life story, but I would like you to have a five-minute discussion before you leave this place and ask each other quickly, again, not for your life story, but just what are the top two or three things that I need to change in my life? What, What do you need to change in your life? I know the top couple things I need to change in my life are and... By that, I'm not suggesting you impersonate an elephant or some kind of gas problem. I'm asking you to fill in the blanks there. And then after you've asked each other, then ask each other, what are the three or four things that you've traditionally used as excuses for not changing those two things? And then ask each other, so by what date can I start working on these things? And then who can I be accountable to with these dates and changes? You don't have to come up with all the solutions. For some of you, it may mean booking a sozo appointment. For some of you, it may mean confronting somebody that you've been holding unforgiveness towards. For somebody, it might mean actually putting things into your smartphone so that your calendar will remind you to do these things. All kinds of different action steps. And then about five minutes from now, we're going to invite the worship team to come and close. And uh, we'll say a quick prayer. But would you do that right now? Would you just find a couple people to talk with, go over these questions for just a few minutes, say a prayer with each other. Thank you.